Hello, and welcome back to another episode of The Family Writing Journey. Today we'll be going back and talking a little bit more about character development. So we started this a couple of weeks ago, and we're going we're gonna to continue to talk about character development. And today we're going to discuss using genre conventions or expectations or character tropes for our specific styles of writing right now. So for us, for this podcast, we're going to focus a little more on fantasy and sci-fi and the kinds of characters, the kind of character development that is either expected or seen often in these style, in this style of writing. So, so obviously like different genres will have different sort of expectations or just common character tropes that they have. But it is sort of specific to genre. Like there are things that you'll see a lot in fantasy that you won't see a lot in in other genres. Like certain types of characters. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess not just types of character, but when I think of conventions in fantasy, one of the big things that I think is that, you know, I expect to see characters, at least some characters who have magic, for example. Right. Certainly. They don't have to necessarily be main characters, but if a world doesn't have magic, then it's not a fantasy world. Right. So some of the some of the conventions in fantasy in terms of character development are similar to any other genre in terms of what makes a good character. But there are some things that are a little bit more likely to be seen in fantasy. And I think that's kind of where we're going today. Yeah. So you mentioned magic. So what are some common fantasy genre expectations, you know, for, for characters? Well, I think the main one, which sort of stems out of a fantasy world in the sense of like prophecy that is commonly there is the chosen one who is basically usually your main character who has some sort of prophecy that foretells them to be to be to like defeat some great evil or do some great thing and then your character has to live up to those prophecy expectations so you're talking about common tropes now Right. I mean, like when I think of conventions or, or expectations, I think a little bit more broad, but you're, you're, we're going into like the tropes that we commonly see in fantasy. Yes. Okay. So the chosen one, um, I guess I'll, I'll tag on to that related that the chosen one is often the unexpected hero. So that's another common trope. Um, and because, because fantasy has magic, sometimes the unexpected hero is somebody who, doesn't know at first that he has some power or some magic or something and then eventually yeah it develops it it's often like a character like oh they're just some small town farmer but then it's discovered in some way by them or by somebody else that oh actually actually they have this this great destiny and that can be just their destiny or they can discover some magical abilities or or anything really but that it's, it works in with like the hero's journey idea of like your character starts off sort of in their normal world and then there's some event that sort of sets them out on on a journey and the chosen one is sort of like a the most obvious blatant use of that i think so and, give us a couple examples of real obvious ones for us harry potter is the is the chosen one he was <laughs> prophesied to de- defeat the the dark lord voldemort um yeah there's um, randall thor from the wheel of time I don't know. There's a lot of examples. Right. The Hobbit, like Frodo and... Right. Although that's... I th- it still fits in the same character trope, I think, of the Chosen One, but 
Yeah, maybe not actually. But maybe there's there's no specific like prophecy that says that. Yeah, it's just that they're he's sort more, of forced more into of the role. unexpected hero to me. Yeah, right. Yeah, exactly. Right, because so he's living in the Shire. Everything's just you know. I really like. Uh, it it sort of fits in with the Chosen One a lot in terms of how the char- their characters will often progress. But I like characters like Bilbo who don't initially initially want to be involved with the plot and they're just sort of swept along. And I know it's good to have like it's on the flip side of that you're supposed to have characters that are like involved and active in their own story but i just like i like characters like bilbo who are not super into it at the start so can we before we go into other common fantasy tropes can we talk about our own writing a little bit in terms of the the two we just mentioned the chosen one slash unexpected hero well, what about you? <laughs> well, I did have an young un- woman with all the questions. <laughs> I, I had an unexpected hero in my in my first book um, because she was the you know she was the middle aged academic. She was living a quiet life, never really looking for any adventure. She, Where you know- does this woman get her material? I wonder. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so she was you know she was sort of the the Bilbo or, or Frodo of. Yeah. You know, so that idea that she had to be kind of reluctantly drawn into the story. Um, I remember, th- I remember seeing Bilbo parallels when I read your yes, your first book, and I don't know if I mentioned that it or not, but see, Michael, he thought it was Bilbo, not me. <laughs> <laughs> um. So yeah. So so I use definitely the unexpected hero. I don't think when I think of the chosen one, I guess a lot of times I feel like that's a really nice trope when you want to connect your characters to a more extensive history and world building maybe that's certainly true yeah and i think i don't know if we want to move on so quickly but there's a good transition here which is that um the chosen one is often discovered by a mentor figure that has a lot more knowledge about the world and who who sort of brings them more into the plot and more into the world and the history like you said and they act as sort of like a knowledge source that Just helps the chosen one along. Before we move off the chosen one to mentor, um, it, I think I sort of think of that as a little, maybe not less mature, but is that more like young adult? You know, like it, if I were reading a book now and I found out that the main character was, you know, the great great grandson of some epic king in the previous in the world, that would kind of feel either overdone or, or I don't know, not. Uh, intellectual enough. Not original. Yeah, maybe that's it. Really? See, I I think think that's very satisfying. And and then I do feel like it gives the author the chance to pull the backstory in in a natural way. What I think is that it's just a trope that has traditionally been used a lot in fantasy. So people who have read a lot more fantasy, maybe, or at least more traditional, like older fantasy, are very used to seeing that. And that's like, many people would see the chosen one as an overused trope. I feel like Although it, it is a trope for a reason, because it does work in, in the ways that you said. Yeah, it certainly works. And I think it appeals to why I thought of the younger reader, you know, kids who think these can't be my parents. I must come from somewhere else. And, <laughs> and you know, that sort of not another use of the word fantasy that they have this fantasy that, you know, really their parents were, you know, I don't know, some super powerful beings or, or came from a different stock. So 
Have you guys used either of these tropes, unexpected hero or chosen one? I would say in my most recent book, I've left it vague that my character has some sort of connection to the past. So that could be sort of chosen one-ish. I um, think that you do have a chosen one. Or in which I or, agree in your current book. In my current, book. I, I would think of it that way. Yeah. I mean, obviously, there's more nuance to it than the traditional chosen one idea, because it well it has other complications. Thank you. I want but, more nuance. <laughs> yeah, I don't think that I have chosen ones. Uh, maybe, maybe in some way, in terms of like, like in fantasy, you have to decide who gets magic. Like sometimes everyone has it. Sometimes you can learn it. Sometimes people are born with it. And I do have characters that are born with magic. So in that sense, they're a little bit set on the path towards towards a specific thing, but not like not like destiny or, or anything like that necessarily. Yeah, I think I've gone closest to the chosen one. And I think, Sonny, you have gone closest to the uh, unexpected hero in your work. And Matthew sort of hasn't really, I haven't really hit either, on no. either of them exactly. Yeah, and I think for me, maybe because I haven't done as much world building, I don't have the infrastructure to connect a protagonist back to some ancient, you know, line of kings or powerful, you know. Although it doesn't necessarily have to be like a bloodline thing. It often right. is, but it could it could just be like, this person is destined to do something. Mm -hmm. And obviously that comes with the baggage of like, where does this prophecy come from? And that is sort of an avenue to the history. Right, because how are you destined if there's no connection to some backstory? Right, I mean, sometimes you just are. Because <laughs> you know. you're the chosen one the in chosen the universe. One. Come on. So, and then Matthew had alluded to the mentor, um, which I know is super common, and I can think of several you know books and movies that have a mentor figure. Um, Gandalf, Lord of the Rings, Dumbledore, Harry Potter... And I, Kenobi, Star I would Wars. just add yeah. here that I think the mentor is a really common expectation that goes across multiple genres because, sure. you know, it's also very common in mysteries, for example. There's often sort of a wiser, older person who's kind of giving the sleuth some counseling. Um, so I, I think a lot of I think a lot of readers, no matter what genre you like, will be interested, will understand that idea of a mentor. Although I think in, in fantasy, there's sort of the added layer that the mentor sort of is supposed to bring knowledge about the, the secondary world where your book takes place mm -hmm. yeah. in its history or about the magic. Yeah. And I guess that is similar because the mentor is always bringing knowledge. But So can you guys talk about how you've used mentor figures? Yeah, I think for me, I don't think I've used it at all in either book. I don't think I, I hit that common character type. I don't know. I... Okay. I haven't really used it, although I've, I, I had, in, in my first book, I had sort of a mysterious older figure that helped them out, but he wasn't like a main, he wasn't a main character. He was just sort of a, a small thing that slid in there. And it was subtle and it, and it, and it was, was not major at all. Yeah. I, I know who you're talking about. And it, I really liked that. I figured that would come out in some future book. Maybe. Or I just leave it as it is. Just leave uh. the mystery. <laughs> So did you actively decide not to have a mentor figure or do you possibly wish you had? I I don't really, I definitely didn't make any active decision to not do that. 
And I think it comes from my independent streak. I don't want any mentor sort of being in there and solving the problems. I, I, that kind of bothers me, I think. Well, and that's the reason that the mentors always die, (laughs) right? 90% of the time a mentor is going to die at some point in, in a series. Because, because it, of that problem that you said, I think, that yeah. you don't want them there. There has to be a point where your main character has to solve problems for themselves. Right. I think I should throw something in at some point just to play around with having the mentor figure in there. But I, I certainly didn't put him in. I have sort of two works in two books in progress, which both have planned mentor figures. So even though I didn't really do it in my first book, it is something that I've thought about because it is very useful in terms of imparting knowledge in a way that is more natural to the reader. And I'm wondering if the mentor, is it always kind of a stereotypical older character or can it be some other kind of character? I think it's always stereotypical. I don't know. I, of course it could be something else. I guess a more clever writer would do that. They just need the knowledge. And oftentimes an older figure will have the knowledge or at least the experience or, or like be seen as more knowledgeable because of their age. So what about you? Cause I feel like you have played around a little bit more, maybe not, not in a, in a big way, but. Yeah. My, my current book has somebody that I consider a mentor figure, but again, I don't have a really extensive backstory. So the mentor figure is really not there so much to convey, you know, something about the world or the past, but more to kind of guide the development of a younger character. Um, oh yeah. 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 That, that's now certainly the main, I've been focusing on the other thing because it's what I like to think about more, but the main thing is helping the character, main character along. And I don't know, in my first book, the main character was already an older person. And, and I kind of didn't like the stereotype of like that the, that the mentor was always this sort of wise old person, but the exciting protagonist is always some young, good looking, right. active young person. So I don't know. So that could be something to play with. For yeah, sure. I think so too. Uh, I'm glad we're talking about it. I think I'm going to try to sort of throw some of that in a little bit and, and, and maybe, maybe try to change around who the mentor figure might be. It could be, you know, it doesn't have to be the archetypal, you know, wizened, Gandalf. older, gray. Yeah. <laughs> right. Like in the Wheel, of, the Wheel of Time, obviously Maureen is older, but she is a woman, which is not necessarily common for... Right fantasy mentor figures and she also looks young yeah i was gonna say she's not really i mean she is really older but she's not certainly not the stereotype yeah so since you mentioned female figures should we jump into common female character tropes because i think they're kind of i mean of course there's a range of what's out there but in terms of tropes things that you see a good bit um i haven't read as much fantasy as you guys but i've tended to see female characters that tend to be one end of the continuum or the other. So either sort of the very strong, over the top, there's a word I want to say, but I wouldn't want to say it on the podcast. You can say Um, it on the podcast. (laughs) I'm not sure Um, what she's saying, but no, I'm scared now. Um, But yeah, like just a a very powerful, very strong, opinionated, um, physically capable. Sassy. Yeah. So on one end of the continuum is that kind of female character. And then at least in some of the fantasy I've read, I've still seen more of the traditional like damsel in distress kind of weak female character. Um, That that 
has to be saved. That has to be saved, who's often beautiful, but doesn't have, you know, a whole lot else going for. So I'm not saying that that's the only thing out there, but those are definitely two common tropes. um, Yeah. For the female characters. Yeah, I feel like, and maybe I just don't remember the other ones, but I feel like it almost, the female characters are almost too powerful. Like You often see them, and they're always, you know, not always, but they're very frequently, very physically capable in ways that just almost don't even really ring true. Like it's often you get a small female warrior again, she's always beautiful. Um, and young, but, but they're, they're quite capable and can, you know, take on several men at once. And I don't, I don't so much have a problem with that as that, as the other side of that is like the emotional side of like, I think people, writers have gone too far to the extreme of making a female character just very aggressive, very not um, emotionally open because they don't want to be seen as reinforcing gender stereotypes. So they go too far the other direction sometimes. Yeah. And again, I have, I'm not a, I'm not an expert in the genre, but I, I mean, I've read a good bit and, and I tend to agree with you, Matthew. It tends to seem like the more, the more modern fantasy that I've read tends to really err toward a very strong, aggressive, maybe um, unrealistically so, female character. And whereas some of the older fantasy has almost no female characters at all, or if they do, they kind of fall into, they're either a prostitute or maybe like a royal princess, and that's about it. Or maybe somebody's mom, (laughs) possibly. (laughs) But that's a bit part. (laughs) And I think, I don't know, it is true that there, that these stereotypes do exist in terms of what fantasy characters, fantasy female characters are like, but I can think of plenty of examples of well-developed, good female characters, mostly in modern fantasy, not really so much in older fantasy, but. Yeah, in my current book. And I don't know if it's the exception or the rule, but it's generally the better books that do that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, as we were, as you were just alluding to, right. my my book, my <laughs> most recent one, um, has a female protagonist, and I don't know, I I don't know what you guys think. You both just read the rough draft, but you know she is certainly a strong character, um, but also flawed and has has you know other issues. Yeah, I think she just seems like a person, which is what you should be striving for. Yeah, not just some sort of caricature. And I guess I would say, you know, to be to be fair to the discussion of gender stereotypes here, that I'm guessing that a lot of the male characters, especially the male protagonists, who, again, are often young, good looking, you know, either strong or powerful or magical or something. I mean, I'm guessing that there's a stereotype there, too. Certainly there. It's uncommon to see an emotionally open male character. Yeah. Do you think that's, is that changing? Because you're saying some of the modern fiction has got a more diverse I think presentation of female characters. I don't think it's changing as much because there's less focus on it. Because, well, I think there's, I think there's a good reason for there being less focus on it because male characters not, are not the ones who have historically been sort of put to the side into the, into the damsel in distress type of role or something like that. I don't know. So we're talking about 
specific characters, more like protagonists. We, I don't, I don't know if we, I, we talked about antagonists a little bit in the, in a previous episode, but that's certainly an area I need to develop a bit more. Are there any sort of tropes or specific things that we often see in antagonists? I think there's the bad trope that they're often just like mindless evil for evil's sake. The Dark Lord. The Dark Lord, yeah, who has no other motivations, no other whatever, no real nuance to them, which is something, which is another thing that modern fantasy is better with. Mm-hmm. Generally, antagonists are becoming more interesting to follow, which I think is good. And the nice thing about fantasy and sci-fi is that we often can play around with perspectives a little bit more than other books, I think. And you could put in a chapter showing that your antagonist's point of view, and that might make you relate a little bit more. Yes, they're doing all these horrible things, but in their mind, they have this very reasonable reason for it, or maybe not reasonable, but they have an understandable reason for their actions. And I think that that reminds me of the change that you've seen in the last... I don't know, a bunch of years in terms of movie villains as well. Like you yeah. think about like the, the superhero, like the, what do you call that? Like the superhero, um, I don't know, like Batman and the, yeah. who's the, who's the villain in Batman, the Joker, the Joker. But now there've been these movies that I think there was a movie fairly recently that was just about the Joker. Yeah. I didn't yeah. see it, but I think there's definitely like a trend in movies as well as books to make, the villain character a little bit more well-rounded, which I don't know. Do you, do you like that? Or do you. Within reason, I, you know, I think if you look way back in time and that, that the good guy of like Superman, that was just always perfectly good in every situation and the bad guy who's always bad, that is no fun. But at the I don't same... know about that. In, in some instances and in some types of stories, it can be useful to use that. Yeah. Well, and I, if I can just tell our, our audience a quick story, when we've been watching the, when we've been watching the Lord of the Rings movies recently, and uh, Sauron is an example, I think of a, of a bat of a villain character that has no good side. He's got very little character development in general, right? Right. He's and so, and he's got these armies and the armies, and so. But I remember Michael, you telling me that I can just root against. Sauron's armies, the 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 orcs and the orkai, they're pure bad. There's nothing good about them. So you know, when they're killed in battle, I don't have to feel bad. They're just bad, bad, bad. Yeah, so, I, I do like. I do. I guess I do like that. Aspect so there's of something it. sometimes about just yeah. having like a pure bad character that you don't have to feel sorry for. Yeah, I think just depending on what role you want them to play in the story. But I also don't want to relate too much to a bad character either. Although some people do. Right. And that and I think some more modern, at least movies, I don't know about books, probably them too. You know, I, I don't want too much of the perspective of the bad guy. Right. So talk briefly about our own stuff. What have you done with the, the bad? Yeah, I'm sorely lacking and I I am making a promise to myself for this coming year to do a better job with development of uh, my antagonist. The book that I'm working on right now has sort of a plans to have a more developed bad guy. And hopefully that pans out well. I might give some perspectives, maybe not from him, but from people close to him. So you sort of get a look at his story. How about you? Um, I don't know. I, again, I think that's been a relative weakness for me too. And 
having this conversation and others like it makes me think that that um you know i'd like to maybe be a little more creative with my bad guys um so i know we're getting toward the end of our time today i don't want to i don't want us to leave this conversation without talking about a fairly common trope i don't know if it rises to the level of always being a genre expectation but it's the non-human character in fantasy yeah and I think the thing with that is that they can often play other roles, right? It's not a mutually exclusive thing, a non-human character and whatever other character tropes. Right. But it is certainly common because it gives, it's good at giving another perspective and another, another skill set to the team and things like that. Have you used a non-human character? Yes. In, yes, I, I have in, in all three of, all three of the books that are, sort of in my mind, have have a non-human character, or well, more than one. So how did you develop main. them, since it was something that you couldn't use your own humanness to kind of create? I didn't do a great job in my first book of it. I meant to do more with it. My main idea with it was that the, the non-human character is sort of like a, a golem-type figure, and what I basically wanted to do was make a fantasy robot, just like a magic-powered robot. So I plan to pull from like the emotional or lack of emotional struggles of like characters from star trek and stuff like that i really like the moral implications of non-human characters it just i just find that i know that's very general but i find it really interesting what you can do with non-human morality and and people or uh, maybe not necessarily people but other beings that are not humans. I don't know. I just feel like there's an interest, interesting interplay there. If an orc was, or if an orc baby was raised in a human family, would they be good or evil? <laughs> right. Well, see now, now you're making me sad that all the orcs. See, I don't to... want to think about that. <laughs> <laughs> so maybe, maybe, well, maybe in a different uh, setting or a different book. And then uh, one last thing. So we've talked about a bunch of specific character types: the chosen one, the unexpected hero, uh, the dark lord, or or a different kind of antagonist, the female characters that are not exclusive of those things, but how they might play into a story and the mentor. Um, but what about like the grouping? Like what about a band of characters, a band of brothers, a, a sort of a group of friends that go about things together? Is that something you guys have used? Do you like that? I really like that. I think it's especially common in like fantasy like quest stories where they each have to have like different skill sets and and play different roles in the group. So it often includes a wide variety of characters that can give you different perspectives and different like lenses to look at the world building as well, which I find interesting. Yeah, I like that too. And I wish I had done a better job with it. And I, I hope to do that more. And we, it's sort of like we've talked about in the past of better character development allows those sort of secondary characters to come in as a team. And for me, it's, it's challenging not to sort of have them be one dimensional, you know, because you do want that one dimension to sort of define them, to show the differences a little bit, but not so much. Right. And, and you've got to add more nuance from that. Yeah. And that's just maybe being a better writer than I am at present. And the more you have a group of characters that interacts around certain common action i mean it really does give you the chance to develop their character because they all they all might experience a, cer a certain 
a certain action together, but they're going to have different reactions to it. And it's going to, so, I mean, I think it's really effective and I think a lot of readers just like it. There's just something kind of satisfying about it. Yeah. It's effective, but again, I'll reiterate, it's hard, at least hard for me mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> to not just make them one-sided. Although it does sort of give you a blueprint of like, this is what I want to do. So I just have to work from the idea that I have to create a band of people that works well together. Yeah. Well, this was great. I, I, I'm really glad we had this discussion. I plan to try to use some of this information and thought process in my writing for this upcoming year here. I feel like we did often say like, oh, this is a cool trope. I really need to work more on doing this in my book. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that happened a lot. So. I didn't hear anybody say, oh, I'm awesome at that. Right. <laughs> All right, everyone. Well, thanks for joining us and good luck with your own writing journey. Bye. Bye. Bye.